I'd like to open up your Bibles to Isaiah 40. And uh, if you're using one of the Blue Pew Bibles, it's going to be page 599. God is here giving Isaiah comforting visions for the coming calamities. And God pauses to sort of stop and give reassurance that Isaiah can trust what God says. And that is in Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. So Isaiah 40, starting in verse 6. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. Oh, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the the word of our God will stand forever. Now we can turn over to First Thessalonians two. So what we just heard is basically the message of Joshua. What the reliable God says, the reliable God does. And now we're going to hear from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 6, where Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica and talking about his own ministry among them previously. So let's listen to 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labors and toil, worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins." God's wrath has come upon them at last. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My friends, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare to consider your word, the scriptures that you have given to us to guide and direct us how we may glorify and enjoy you, would you teach us what we are to believe about you and what duty you require of us? You have given us the Bible, O Lord, as a loving Father gently gives His children instruction because He loves them and wants His children to know Him. So show us Yourself, and by Your Holy Spirit, strengthen our faith in Jesus Christ as well as in the Scriptures by which we see Him and all of You, triune God. 
We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, Pastor Mike has been warning you, maybe just telling you, uh, that we're going to have a Reformation theme around everything going on around the church in the month of October. Now, here in the morning, the way we're going to do that is with a short topical sermon series on what are known as the five solos. That's five biblical teachings or doctrines that were especially emphasized during the Reformation from which our church and denomination draws its historical and theological heritage. We're what you might call a Reformed and Presbyterian church. Now, we're doing this sort of in honor of some history. We're doing it because on October 31st, 1517, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, which sparked a controversy that became a war that led to the Protestant Reformation and modern Protestant churches as opposed to Roman-centered, or what we commonly refer to today, Roman Catholic churches. Now, Contrary to popular opinion, the Reformation was not about starting a new competing church, nor was it about restoring the purportedly pristinely pure first century church. Rather, the Reformation was about reforming the church that was there. As a matter of fact, if you go back, the Reformers really held to most everything the Roman church authorities professed to hold. But the Reformers did have a sense that a few items that were once held by the church had been stowed away in the ecclesiastical attic, to borrow Pastor Mike's phrase. They had been misplaced and forgotten. And so in the early 16th century, these few important items were dusted off, drug out of the attic, pulled together, and called the five solas, And because really smart people came up with these, they did it in Latin. Wow, that did not get the laughs I expected. Sola Scriptura, Solus Christus, Sola Gratia, Sola Fide, and Soli Deo Gloria. And what we're going to do is help you sort out all that Latin because I went to public school. Um, So if you're a normal attender here, you will know that we normally teach through books of the Bible, uh, teaching on one passage at a time and keeping our teaching really limited to what comes out of that particular passage, only referencing other scriptures if it helps you see that passage better. This method of preaching is what we call expository preaching. That is, we're expositing or explaining a particular set of verses or chapters out of the Bible, normally moving from passage to passage, week to week, through a book of the Bible until we've taught that book or letter from beginning to end. The reason for expository preaching is directly tied to today's topic, the Latin phrase sola scriptura. We believe the Bible is the word of God and that it only tells us the special things we need to know. The Bible is the speech act of God, and it is a record of the speech acts of God's word recorded in the Bible, and therefore by the Holy Spirit can give us real knowledge of and relationship with the speaker-actor, the triune God. 
And therefore, the best way to know God and have a vital relationship with him is to hear, read, and learn the Bible. Thus, we normally just teach passages of the Bible. But this month, we're going to do what's called a topical sermon series, which, by God's grace, it will be what the Bible teaches, but it really won't be limited to the passages we read. In fact, if anything, the passages I read today are just the jumping-off point for what I'm going to say. Uh, And so we will be looking at the subject matter of Scripture and what Scripture says about itself, and throughout this series we'll see what Scripture says about these solas rather than sticking to a particular passage. So that's the series intro. That's what we're doing this month. You don't have to hear that again. Now, what is sola scriptura? Well, it's a Latin phrase that translates roughly scripture alone. So let's unpack what scripture is and then why we say scripture alone. First, what is scripture? Well, uh, it is whatever holy book your religion uses. Uh, In uh, the Christian faith, our holy book is the Bible and the 66 books contained within it. Uh, And if you are so inclined, you can grab one of those red hymnals in front of you and turn to page 869, and you can read in questions 2 and 3 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, well, what rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. Oh, so that's what the Scriptures are. Well, what do the Scriptures principally teach? The Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires a man. Simple enough. So, when we need to know the truth to life, the universe, and everything, the answer isn't 42 Uh, Nor is it Cowboy Curly's one thing. Good, someone has seen City Slickers. I was worried about that reference. Uh, It's not what Stephen Covey or Oprah or the President or Cosmopolitan or any other source say, even if they do have helpful things to say. But rather, everything we need to know, uh, at least when it comes to the purpose of life, the big fancy word for all this ethics, purpose, philosophy is metaphysics. You can use that at a party. Uh, But the Bible is what lays the foundation of all of that for us. And so when there is a contest between what the Bible says and what someone else says, Christians go with the Bible. And that brings up two important questions. Why should I trust that old book that's thousands of years old? And what does it even mean that God's, that is God's word? Or asked another way, how does the Bible work? How is God speaking through this book? So, let me briefly say what the Bible, I've sort of told you what it is. Let me tell you what it isn't to keep you from making some mistakes. The Bible is not a textbook. Neither is the Bible basic instructions before leaving earth. Uh, The Bible certainly does teach us some truths that very well may alter how we interpret 
what we believe in the universe. And the Bible certainly does have some instructions embedded in its various writings. But the Bible is not a textbook where you read the formulas and therefore you have everything you need to make life work exactly the way you want it. Life is not that black and white. Uh, Rather, the Bible is first and foremost literature. And so it has to be processed that way. Which admittedly, while there are some black and whites, it can also leave some gray. Now, certainly when I say the Bible is literature, I absolutely mean it is divinely inspired literature containing real narrative prose that is accurate history. But it also contains things like poetry and song lyrics and proverbs and letters. Uh, And all of those things have truth. In fact, they are true. But it becomes necessary to have a wider understanding of how to read something than, oh, do good and God will like you. First of all, you can't do any good. Sorry. Uh, But if you're offended by that, stick around a minute. Um, But Christians believe that the 66 books and letters that make up the Christian Bible are God's word, and therefore it is the way that God speaks to us. That is, the Bible is God's means of communicating to us all that God wants us to know about him in order to be an intimate, loving relationship with him and honor him appropriately, as well as, yes, teaches us all the basic principles necessary to figure out how we're to treat one another and live right, live ethically in this life in the way God approves of. But how is that done? Well, when you begin to understand the Bible as literature instead of a textbook, what you discover is God is far more relational than you may have realized. Because when God wants to let us get to know him, he interestingly lets us get to know him the same way we all get to know one another. If you're meeting someone for the first time, if you are normally socialized, so how do you ordinarily get to know someone? You tell them your story. Tell me about yourself. Oh, well, I grew up in Tahlequah, and I grew up unchurched, and, uh, you know, I went to college at OU, and eventually those surface-level details become more intimate details. Oh, there was this time in my life, and there was a girl that broke my heart, and it also really hurt my friend, right? You know, you get into these stories that are intimate stories of heartbreak and love, really sharing the stories that have shaped you. That's the Bible. It's God giving us the stories, not that shaped him, God is unchanging. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but it is the stories he wants us to know in order to understand who he is by seeing what he's done and what he's said to people in the past. So the Bible is God's personal stories. And though it has many human authors, we believe the Bible has one divine author such that all the stories, poems, proverbs, and letters go together to form a narrative. The story of the universe where we see God's character, get to know who he is, get to know what he likes and dislikes. And more than that, we see how much he loves us. 
and we read of God creating our universe, as we read of, well, the creation, but then humanity's rebellion that broke the universe. But then we see God's never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love, such that he kept coming after his rebellious people until the point that he sent his only son into our world to correct the brokenness by living the perfect sinless life, but dying the death of a sinner, a God-hater on the cross, so that those who believe in him could be forgiven. And that, that's the thing. All of us, we, we don't know God's word. That's what we confessed. And we haven't done everything that pleases him. And because God is perfectly just, he's also perfectly right to make us pay for our sins. That he canceled that debt. He settled that score by having Jesus pay it for us. But more than that, he gives us credit for the perfect life Jesus lived. And so we can't mess it up. That's a story you want to know. And it is the story of Jesus' resurrection for our justification that proves all that stuff I just said. That we're received and adopted and treated as God's children forever, no matter what. And therefore we can have confidence of the end of the story. The in, that we will receive the inheritance of the Son of God Himself. That all sad things will come untrue. That one day all wrongs will be set right and all wounds will be healed. And everlasting life will finally be what it always should have been as death dies and the new heavens and new earth becomes the rest of the story to which this life was but the prologue. But this story is only truly and fully contained in the Bible alone. This is the one special way God has left for us to know that story. And so Christians believe that the sole and final authority of our faith is right here in the Bible alone, sola scriptura. We believe very specifically that this story was originally given to the prophets and apostles uh, in the ancient languages of Greek and Hebrew. All right, so I'm about to teach you a vocabulary. Now, some of that vocabulary is on your worship guide, but we're going to learn a reformed vocabulary of Scripture. So, buckle your seatbelts. So, we believe that God uh, gave the prophets and apostles these stories, these letters, these writings in the ancient languages of Greek and Hebrew through what we call plenary verbal inspiration. Plenary verbal inspiration, which is basically just a fancy way to say that we believe in some mysterious non-puppet way that though there were human beings who wrote the Bible and they didn't stop being themselves, they were nonetheless inspired, whatever that means, in such a way that the words they wrote that became the Bible, down to their very conjugations, were exactly what God intended them to write. Thus, sometimes you will hear pastors argue over, no, this is in the aorist tense. No, it's in the present tense. And that stuff actually winds up mattering. Uh, and so this is why we say there may be many human authors, but there is nonetheless one divine author. And so First Peter 1.21, Peter writes, No prophecy, meaning no, nothing that became Scripture, 
was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. All right, great. So Christians believe all that supernatural hocus-pocus. Why should I listen to the Bible? That's how I would have talked when I was a non-Christian, okay? Um, so uh, l- let, me, let me tell you, friend, I, I, I didn't grow up in the church. I get it. I used to think the Bible was a bunch of malarkey, and people that believed it were stupid. So w- let's talk, okay? Um, it turns out that when you really go start studying it, and listen, I don't have time to, like, do a slideshow and show you everything. So I'm going to make some assertions, and this is really an invitation to coffee, so I can pull out some fancy books and show you where this stuff comes from, okay? But let me tell you, uh, the Bible is actually a trustworthy historical document, and you can confirm that using some pretty non-supernatural methods, okay? Uh, So if you're a doubter, let's grab coffee, and I will show you that. But... I want to to tell you the Bible is well-attested as a historical document, and it is well-preserved as a historical document. First, it's well-attested. That is, the the more archaeology delves into Bible history, uh, we find that the events recorded in the Bible are there in other people's history outside the Bible. The events get confirmed. There's references to King David in other kingdoms surrounding old Israel. And even the Jewish historian Josephus, who did not believe in Jesus, nonetheless records and was confused by this growing group of Nazarenes, as he called them, claiming to follow someone raised from the dead. Uh, And I would argue that based on the persecution those Nazarenes were facing, it is very unlikely they would have continued to be so loud about that unless Jesus was truly and actually raised from the dead. So there's every reason to believe the events recorded here. Second, the Bible is well-preserved. There is this academic discipline called textual criticism, okay? And basically, we have hundreds of thousands of copies of the Old and New Testament in that original Hebrew and Greek spanning Europe and Asia and Africa and many hundreds of years apart. We we have more copies of the Bible to compare to one another than we have of any other ancient document. And when we compare them to one another, doing this textual criticism, we're able to determine that the documents from which we derive our modern translations have been accurately preserved throughout the centuries. Uh, Sometimes people talk about textual criticism as though it disproves the Bible, but no offense, those people just don't know what they're talking about. Textual criticism only confirms that the Bible has not been altered either by accident or on purpose, and the few variants uh, that there are are inconsequential and easily explainable. Uh, So, I want you to know our translations today are absolutely accurate representations of the original Hebrew and Greek, and scholars and pastors trained in Hebrew and Greek, which pastors in our denomination are required to be, are actually able to look at those original languages. We're able to get up close and personal with God's Word when we prepare our teachings. So, the Bible has been accurately preserved, and it's an accurate record of historical events, but what makes it 
God's word. Okay, well, I've said it's his story, but how does it, how does hearing this story work in our lives? Well, first of all, it works when the Holy Spirit comes alongside our reading and our listening to preaching and our dealing with God's word and simply convinces us it is true. That changes our hearts. But what is more, the Holy Spirit having convinced us of that, we're then able to learn the basic facts God wants us to know, right? So that stuff is there uh, because the Bible is both inerrant and infallible, right? Two more fancy words. Now, let me tell you, Jesus himself referred to what we call the Old Testament regularly, such uh, as we read in our reading from the law in Matthew 5. And Jesus uh, refers to the Old Testament as the Scriptures, the commandment of God and the Word of God. And the apostles then turn around and refer to their own ministry as on par with Scripture, right? That was the assurance of pardon. You heard about your forgiveness because of what the apostles wrote. And Paul was writing to the the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2.13 and said, You received the word of God, which is what you heard from us. You accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So there's sort of, we could go off on a whole other thing about how preaching is also the word of God in its own way, but that's not the topic of the sermon, so I'm going to leave that for another time. Uh, And the apostle Peter refers to Paul's writings as scripture in 2 Peter 3.16, which means that their teaching is consistent with Jesus, or if their teaching is consistent with Jesus, and we believe it is, then the writings of the apostles, which we believe the New Testament to be, receive the same status as the Old Testament. So they are also Scripture, the Word of God. And both Jesus and the Old Testament affirm that anything that is Scripture is God's Word, and therefore truth, John 17, 17, Psalm 119, verse 60. And Paul says in Titus 1, verse 2, that God never lies. So all these words have got to be true. Why did I tell you all that? I'm going to connect the dots for you now. So take that big old jumble of information that I'm sure you took careful notes on. If you believe in Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, then you believe what he believes about the Bible. He says it's God's word and therefore entirely true. And it says it cannot lie. Therefore, followers of Jesus believe the Bible to be infallible. See, we came back around to that infallible word. That's a fancy word that means God's word not only contains no untruths, but it can't contain any untruths. And therefore, it is inerrant. Now, for the longest time, I was like, okay, grammar Nazis, why do these two words matter? And it matters because there actually is a difference between the two. By God's grace... Hopefully, this sermon that I'm preaching right now is inerrant. Hopefully, there are no errors contained within it. If they are, I need to be corrected. But God's Word, and only God's Word, is in 
fallible, speaking specifically of the Scriptures, because not only are they not wrong, they can't be wrong. Whereas my words can be if you can find that they disagree, if they don't match up with the Bible. Now, this matters because in an ideal world, which we do not live in, by the way, believing this actually keeps Christianity from becoming a cult because the preacher leader can always be corrected by the Bible. I do not stand over the Bible. The Bible stands over me. And if someone can be shown to be contradicting the Bible, well, if they'll receive correction, that's fine. I I don't know if you guys know this, but I totally make mistakes. Um, I'm sure some of you know that, but you're being nice about it. Um, But let me tell you the story of the Seventh-day Adventists. When they were first founded in a flourishing movement of cults in the mid-1800s, they denied the Trinity, they denied salvation by grace, and they denied a lot of other fundamental doctrines that we really believe would put them outside of what we consider legitimate Christianity. But because of their commitment to expository preaching, where I said the whole preaching through the Bible, that believing it's all inerrant and infallible, as their theology developed, having sola scriptura at its core, funny enough, they actually developed from their cultic roots into a more orthodox set of doctrines. Or as one of my seminary profs used to say, Expository preaching got the Seventh-day Adventists to preach themselves back into Christianity. Uh, That's not to say we agree with everything they say, but they seem to be legitimate Christians on the fundamentals, so to speak. So, if uh, preachers can be corrected by the Bible, if denominations can be corrected by the Bible, let's correct them. But if they can't, we should no longer follow them. We should believe the Bible and not what that person says. But that also means that if you have a belief and someone can show you that the Bible says something other than your belief, no matter how strongly you feel about it, you should change that belief to match up with the Bible. And sometimes that's really hard because we can have very strong feelings about particular issues. I remember when I was becoming a Christian and someone showed me from the Bible, I'm a sinner, and I cussed Pete Hatton out. He's the pastor over at Redeemer Prez. I remember when I was shown predestination is very clearly and without qualification in the Bible, and I was very resistant to the point of doing some crazy mental gymnastics to make the Bible not say that. It definitely says it. You can't get around it. I remember that uh, this, this one sticks out to me because it was particularly impactful to me for whatever reason. I remember when someone showed me that the Bible does not allow for women elders, and I was ready to be like, I'm out of here. This book is misogynistic, backwards, primitive, and uncultured, and this is why Christians are so backwards. And so if you feel that way, because uh, I, I get that, because that's how I felt. Some days I have to be... I have to let the Bible guide me rather than my feelings, to be real honest. But I have to keep coming back to wait. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus has shown himself to be God. And Jesus believed the Bible and taught us to believe the Bible. 
and every word in it. And so I had to believe all of these hard things because the Bible teaches them whether I feel good about them or not. No matter how strongly I might feel otherwise, I have to submit to the Bible and not my own feelings. Now, all that's not to say that the Bible is completely easily understood and that there won't be disagreements. Even the Apostle Peter had to say of Paul, uh, you know, there's some things in Paul's letter that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So even the Bible says parts of the Bible are confusing. So if you find yourself confused at times, you're still a Christian. It's okay. I, I, I've, I've had people say, I'm, I'm just worried I'm not, I'm not a Christian. I'm worried I don't have the Holy Spirit because I don't, believe, I don't understand all of the Bible. The Apostle Peter didn't understand all the Bible, apparently, and he wrote the thing. <laughs> so, uh, where there are disagreements on secondary issues, we're going to get into debates. And there can be disagreements between legitimate Christians within our denomination. And yes, sometimes those chasms are going to be so wide that it becomes impractical to move forward as an organization. And so we get denominations, but this is my, right, I get to do my hobby horse now. We have many denominations and one church, okay? So we don't call people in different denominations that disagree with us unbelievers or other slanderous things, okay? We do have to split into denominations at times, for surely practical reasons. But we can all be believers and disagree about some of the less clear portions of Scripture as long as we're defined by the fundamentals that are very clear. And we can treat as one another as brothers and sisters in Christ without saying someone's abandoned the faith. We can be confident that we truly do all have one King Jesus who loves us all and that we will all happily live happily ever after in the new heavens and new earth, and everything will be made clear because we can just ask Jesus in person then. But let me give you a couple of principles about interpreting the Bible. First, where those hard things come up, interpret the Scripture by the Scripture, especially the difficult passages or ideas. If at all possible, go find a passage that says the same thing, is talking about the same things as an unclear passage or something that seems debatable, and see if you can find something that says it more clearly, more firmly. That's not going to resolve all disagreements, but it's a good place to start when you disagree about what the Bible says. But second, sola scriptura does not mean solo scriptura. That is, don't go off in a corner and only read the Bible by yourself and trust whatever meaning you take away from it and refuse to listen to anyone else. No one is a blank slate, and therefore everyone reads the Bible from an angle informed by their own history, be that their personal history, their theological denominational history, and sometimes just their current emotional state. Even the reformers who identified the doctrine of sola scriptura then turned around and gave us extra-biblical documents that we believe to be inerrant, uh, or at least possibly inerrant, uh, though fallible, 
like the Westminster Standards. Uh, and the John Calvin quoted ancient church pastors and theologians all the time. And they said all synods or councils since the apostles' time, whether general or particular, may err, and many have erred. Therefore, they're not to be made the rule of faith or practiced, but they are to be used as a help in both. We need the wisdom of the collective church, the wisdom of history, the wisdom of fellowship with godly, intelligent people, and yes, educated clergymen. Uh, and Jesus followers to help us read the Bible well so we can understand its meaning and what it means for our lives today. Now, did I just say, therefore, don't go read the Bible for yourself? Is that what I said? No. In fact, I want to encourage you all, if you take nothing else away from what I've said, and I've said too much, take this away. Please, go regularly read, read, reconnoiter, remember, and restate the Bible. That is, read the Bible for yourself. Study the Bible. Memorize the Bible. And pray the Bible. Read, reconnoiter, remember, and restate. Read it. Study it. Memorize it. And pray it. Because God works in our lives when we listen to his word. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God. That, by the way, is where we get the word inspired from, that breathed out, uh, although it's technically expired. Some grammar things I don't understand. Um, But it's all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped from every good work. In other words, the Bible is sufficient. It is sufficient to tell us all that we need to know. And so we should lay, therefore lay up these words of mine in our hearts and our souls, the Bible says. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. Let not the steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. The Holy Spirit really does help you as you deal with the Bible. Yes, even our translations of the Bible, because after all, even Jesus quoted the Septuagint, a translation of the Old Testament, and still called it God's Word. So any ordinary person reading plainly, while they may not understand all, can at the very least discern what is needed for salvation and godly living. Because when God created the universe, he spoke. And when God gave us a book, and when we read it, he is Speaking, and when God speaks, it creates, including making a new creation. God's words are his acts, and so reading the Bible really is encountering the living God in some mysterious way, and reading and hearing his words is being acted on by him. So if you're longing to experience God, if you want to feel the Holy Spirit at work, and if you want to see Jesus, while I cannot encourage you to trust those feelings 
or an experience, I can tell you that the only place those things will truly, inerrantly, and infallibly happen is through the Bible. Because the Bible gives us relationship with Jesus. The Bible shows us our Savior who loved us so much he died for our sins and rose for our justification. And the Bible gives us intimate insight into, as well as lets us hear from our Lord and Savior, the lover of our souls. That's why Jesus said of the scriptures to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. When he met with the disciples after the resurrection, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all, in all the scriptures all the things concerning themselves and said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. My friends, that's the message of the Bible. That's the God the Bible shows you. The message of God's love for us, the salvation he bought for us. And if you want to get to know God, if you want to get close to Jesus, you can through the Bible. So do you want some guidance for life, some good advice, and to intimately know the God of the universe and his love for you? Do you want that? You can through the Bible. That's good news. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you that you not only created us, You not only saved us, but you have shared your story with us. You've shared yourself with us, and you have even given us the medium of the scriptures by which we can hear your voice anytime. So give us your Holy Spirit, that as we read, reconnoiter, remember, and restate your word day by day, we would grow in intimacy with you, in holiness and godliness, and in confidence of your love. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.